What's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Gray Report. I'm your host, Spencer Gray, joined by Matt Bossangle, Director of Communications and Marketing here at Gray Capital. If you're a real estate investor, you work in the real estate industry, specifically the multifamily industry, you're in the right spot because here at The Gray Report, we cover all the latest research reports, articles, opinions, and data sets, all revolving around the multifamily industry, real estate, and the macro economy in general. We've got a great report, Matt. We put a lot of great articles together. We've got reports from Florida Atlantic University, Forbes, Apartment List, Globe Street, and Rent Cafe. Again, a lot of stuff going on in the macro economy. Exciting stuff for multifamily. Let's just dig into it, Matt. All right, we are live from the Gray Capital Headquarters here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Matt, again, put together a great show today. We've got yeah. a lot of interesting articles. So many things are moving so quickly. Yeah. Whether it's geopolitics, you know, real estate, the economy. I mean, the stock market's been doing horribly. Yeah. Multifamily's just been crushing it, continues to. Inflation, still top of mind. Mm-hmm. But there's all kinds of other stuff going on. But how's your, how's your week going? You know, what are your, what's the mood? Another another good week. You know, I'm, I think along with the rest of the world, we're, everyone's worried about the, the war in Ukraine. Yeah. And the idea that this is going to be a long slog is, is something that I think should rightly worry everyone. I don't see a big impact in multifamily, but I think that construction is going to be affected now. You were just talking about gas prices and commodity prices and... Yeah. And that's that's going to have a ripple effect, not just on construction, but on people's lives and the way that they do business, where they get to work. Um, so it's going to be, yeah, it'll be tough. And I'm I, I'm hoping that, you know, the the story of the recovery was so powerful. It's hard to think that, but you know what? It's a small world, I guess. It's true. It's a, it's a small world, and there's a lot of pushes and pulls going yeah. on because, as as you said, you know, the higher gas prices, you know, four dollars plus a gallon to fill up your yeah. tank right now. That cuts into a consumer's budget, how much they have to spend on other items, including rent. Yeah. Um, at the same time, um, the consumer is financially in the best spot that they've been almost ever. I mean, yeah, that's a, a good point. Of, yeah. A ton of equity in homes. Savings rates are at all-time highs. We're seeing wage growth you know, across the, across the board. Inflation's also high, so we're not yeah. necessarily seeing a ton of real wage growth, but at least it, it's, yeah. just, it, it's just about tracking it Employment in some markets. numbers coming down and... Yeah, we're seeing record up, almost sorry. yeah record low unemployment. Um, I think they just revised the um, December job openings or available jobs, yeah. and it, it was the highest on record. So really strong job growth, you know, which I think is going to continue to push wages up. Yeah. But then, as you said, man, I think you know nickel shot up like ninety percent this week. Wheat's way up because Russia and Ukraine yeah. are the one of the largest producers of of, uh, of wheat. That was surprising too. Yeah, the, yeah. that's really a breadbasket, and and there's some uh, that's some real pain that. You know, that's going to that's that's a global thing. It's crazy. 100 yeah, percent. And and then and what are the consequences? And I don't think anybody knows of, you know, no, no, no longer going to be importing oil from Russia anymore. Yeah. And businesses are cutting off ties to Russia. And Russia was not a huge part of the economy, but still, that's a lot of disruption. Yeah. With, shaking when it's things something up. as crucial as like wheat and yeah. oil. These are like what people used to get energy. And yeah. what machines used to get energy. And just a slight little fluctuation like that 
you know, could have a way bigger yeah. effect. And we were already in an inflationary environment. Yeah, um, yeah. And we've seen rents um, continue to outpace inflation as they have done historically. Mm-hmm. And and so the question is, you know, is this going to put more too much pressure on the consumer where they can't absorb um, more rent growth? Or are we going to see, as we've seen almost every time in the past, where rents just continue to float on top of inflation and really outpace yeah. it? And is this more fuel on the fire for the, for the, for the multifamily investing industry? That's what it seems like so many um, investors, so many apartment buyers are betting on that and like vigorously, you know, really thinking that prices are going to go up, that it's really important to get into these hard assets and to, to really expect inflation to make yeah it's one of the best risk adjusted returns anywhere and then when you talk about a hedge against inflation um you know the three asset classes you hear people talk about are real estate stocks and commodities yeah and you know commodities can be pretty volatile the stock market which is in the tank right now and is volatile um, but multifamily just keeps chugging along and so in terms of risk adjusted opportunities yeah. um, because you know you could say hospitality is a better hedge against inflation but much higher much more volatility so really multifamily is in the sweet spot and i thought um because you know we were we were bidding on a pretty big portfolio yeah, I was going to ask you what the how was how's your experience? You yeah, got some first yeah well, experience. it was um, one of the first big deals that we've really gone after and been in, in the middle of um, in 2022. And amidst all this uncertainty, you know, other markets, there's a lot of softness. People are sitting on the sidelines. Yeah, not the case in multifamily. I we were we were hoping that maybe the the field would be cleared a little bit. Maybe people were being a little hesitant because of all the uncertainty. Not the case. Um, yeah. So we were going after a large portfolio, three properties here in Indianapolis. And, um, you know, the pricing, you know, it's like we've seen last year. It's another 10% over Whisper. That's what I was just going to say. High pri- <laughs> record high prices. Now, you can't, the prices on a price per unit basis and a cap rate basis are hard to wrap our heads around. Mm-hmm. But when you factor in the growth that we're seeing, you can make sense of it in the problem. And, and we're not going to win these uh, this portfolio. But the and the reason for that is there are investors out there and buyers who have relatively low return thresholds, but there's yeah. so much capital they have to place. And we're going to see this trend beyond the fundamentals of the apartments themselves and demand from residents and renters. And I know we've got a lot of good pieces to get into. You know, why renting just makes so much sense right now. But then you've got the demand from investors, global investors, money mm-hmm. that's pouring in from all around the world into the United States because yeah. it's more stable. And then even um, you know domestic investors trying to find that right asset class that's going to help them get through this period and for the long term. And it's and it's real estate, it's multifamily. Yeah. So we're going. So that's going to continue to drive up prices. And so it's an incredible environment. It's great for current assets. It makes it very difficult to on the acquisition side. I think there are still are opportunities, but I think if you're not plugged in, if you're not if you're not subscribed to the Great Report, and you're not that's up right. to date on what's going on at the granular level, it really wouldn't make sense. Yeah, well, and that's and that's what I want to get to in one of the articles here is it's a it's there are larger trends of of supply and demand, but if you're looking, there are individual wins that you can get. It's no market is the same, and there you it's hard to make a blanket statement. Um, unless it's like a long, you know, unless we're looking at long-term trends. Yeah. So there's ways to find deals, but it's certainly more competitive. And, uh, I will say even in this competitive market, the rents are such that, uh, and we'll talk about this in just a second. The rents are such that it's still better to rent than to own. So, and rents, I haven't even like 
other things have the prices of other as you know parts of like cpi for example mm-hmm. they've risen even more i mean yeah. rents are still beating inflation but and you look at in the context of all of all the other items that make up cpi rents actually still have quite a bit of room yep. to go which is mind-boggling it is it really is yeah let's just let's just dive into it um let's look at this first report from um where we got from what florida atlantic yeah uh, we've university covered actually, we've we've covered some of the work that they've done before um this article is really more of i don't want to say it's an old chestnut but uh the point of this article i think is one that is imminently graspable for really anyone that has bitter memories of the housing crisis yeah. of like 2003 to 2009 um as the re as the researchers put it they say even though prices are high right now and rising, renting becomes a hedge against locking in a home price that is too far above a market's long-term pricing trend. And this is actually their older article that that we covered um, earlier. They talked about this long. There are a set of markets, and there these the this number is growing where the long-term where houses home prices right now are way above their long-term yeah. average. And in those cases, it's better to rent. Yeah. And so, the, for the majority of markets, it's better to rent than buy. Um, so, but, yeah. but there's a caveat there yeah, also because if you just rent and so let's say you had a down payment, you could mm-hmm. buy. Let's say you're a renter by choice, you can buy a house or you can choose to rent somewhere. Yeah, you got your hundred thousand or whatever you need for your you know twenty percent down mm-hmm. you can't just leave that into a savings account yep because you're not making anything in a savings account exactly you're making <laughs> absolutely nothing and the still. bank gets to use your money but yeah yeah the bank will use our money yeah, yeah. lend it out it's but, like a favor so but nice. so if you want to invest in real estate you're like hey no i want to i want my net worth to be allocated to real estate okay well find the best real estate investment mm-hmm. rent and then invest in a syndication yeah. that's going to buy your apartment building or whatever you know whatever yeah. asset class you're interested in or in the stock market i mean the bottom line is being invested in the market that's going to outpace inflation mm-hmm. and that's going to be earning you more than you know what it would have been sitting in a safe yep. account or, or a bond. The quote is uh, here is it says our index and this is kind of their closing quote. Um, it says our index is showing you don't need to be a homeowner to build a retirement nest egg. But and this is what I underlined here in my notes. If you don't think you'll invest your rental savings, it's better off to buy a home, especially if you plan to stay there for several years. Um, so even if home prices fall, though you'll you'll yeah. you'll be able to kind of have it's like that. an automatic savings plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but again, if you're invested somewhere else, if you're invested in, in a stable, you know, multifamily building, then yeah. uh, then then that's going to do better probably than than your. Well, home. yeah. For example, I'm just thinking about you know one of the properties that you know, we're we're going to be selling here in the next couple of months. Um, we only hold held it for two years. Typically, hold properties quite a bit longer, usually five to seven years. Yeah. But this is a shorter term hold. Um investors are going to double their money in yeah. about two years. So think about if you have bought a home, you would have gotten some nice price appreciation um, because especially if you're using leverage, mm-hmm. um, but you weren't going to be doubling your money Not within all, two no. years. Yeah. And if you wanted to actually realize that gain, I mean, you could maybe refinance, but most likely you have to sell it. You got to find a new place to live. I'll have to check. I'll have to check my Zillow estimate for my house, yeah. but I don't think it's doubled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It will. It certainly hasn't, it hasn't doubled. Yeah. 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 Maybe your equity has gotten close, but you know, not the same. The closing paragraph here um, really gets at uh, what you were saying, I think, about investing versus owning a home. And um, it says, she says, our index is showing you don't need to be a homeowner to build a retirement nest egg. But if you don't think you'll invest your rental savings, it's better off to buy a home, especially if you plan to stay there for several years. Even if home prices fall, chances are values will rebound in the long term and allow you to do well in the savings game. Um, So ultimately, you know, 
if you're if you're not planning on spending your uh, if you're not planning on investing, then maybe it's better to buy a home yep. because at least you'll have something socked away. Yeah. But if you're planning on investing, um, it, you're going to find a better way to uh, to double your money. Yeah. Uh, than yeah. Uh, than to own yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, buying a house again, it's like a built-in savings, a plan, built-in investment plan. Yeah. But is it the like absolute best investment? That that that's that's the question. Um, and usually mm-hmm. it's not a bad investment, but there may be. I, what I always look think back to is your perfect place to live for you and your family. Is that always going to be correlated with the best use of your capital? Yeah. And rarely it, it, do they line up perfectly mm-hmm. and also match your return expectations for income and appreciation. Because if you another investments, those off cash, it's a lot better than. Yeah. And I think that it's also where, you know, there are other benefits to you get a little more freedom, a little more flexibility when you're buying your house, but you just can't treat it as a investment. Um, there's reasons why people buy a house that, uh, and, and I don't think they're crazy. <laughs> I have a house, yeah. you own a house, yeah. but it's like, but it's for other reasons. Yeah. Though. It's not for building, building. Wealth yeah. If, if it, we're hoping that it increases in value. Yeah. I mean, just, just like you could buy, you know, some, some other things, you know, I could buy, you know, you buy a Rolex and you think, mm-hmm. okay, well I'm hoping this at least maintains its value, but I'm not looking at it as like, oh, I'm going to, yeah. You know, I'm going to get rich from, you know, buying a collectible or something, yeah. you know, and NFTs frankly, aside. you know, treating it as an investment, it's kind of it, it is a, makes it a little bit weirder for people that do want for people that do want homes. Yeah. And, um, and it, it makes and it, it even harder for a first time homebuyers, especially to enter the market yeah. if everyone's looking to. As far off the deep end investment. as Robert Kiyosaki seems to have yeah. gone at times, you know, the whole idea of that, you know, not viewing your home as an asset and more as a liability, I think, mm-hmm. is totally the case. Because, yeah, my home and as your house is increase in value, but like we're still dumping you know, all kinds of money into our yeah, house. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's definitely. It's taking cash out of our pocket. It's not mm-hmm. putting cash into our pocket, but do it for reasons not that, okay, I'm going to put, look, at, oh, yeah, I got to replace some doors and it's going to make $15,000 yeah. to replace like two doors or yeah. like it's insane. Not going to get that 15 grand out when I go to sell it. No one's going to care about the two doors, mm-hmm. but we need the, we need to replace these two doors. Well, and then everywhere in my neighborhood, it's these, uh, the lines from your sewer to your house yeah. uh, are like yeah. clay and God forbid if that happens then that's 10 grand that you've got to pay. Yeah. Um, and that's nothing. You don't see it. You're another next buyer. Seems like, Oh, well, well, yeah, let's increase the Ooh, price. I like that. 10, 10 grand because yeah. you, you made Not the plumbing work. No, yeah. no. Okay, so, so there's an interesting graph. I'm um, kind of accompanying this piece about mm-hmm. or when is it the best time to rent exactly. versus buying, which is interesting to quantify it. Yeah. Um, so it's not always the case where renting's better, at least in the, as these people, um, the, the researchers see it. Um, you can see on the graph um, and forgive me too that um, my inability to explain visual things, um, but but the graph tells a story I think better really than anything else. It's better to buy than rent from around 1982 to 2000, and then after Y2K, better to rent than buy, and that lasts till 2010. So you can see there's like well 20 years, and then a 10 year period. There's a real big spike. <laughs> That's the housing yeah. crisis where it's better to rent than buy, and finally from 2010 to 2018, actually better to buy a home than to rent a home which is you know pretty fascinating because um well it makes sense because housing prices you know obviously went in the crater mm-hmm. after the great financial crisis yeah um but you know 2014 to 2017 18 was one of the really strong rent growth and a great time to be a multifamily mm-hmm. investor um it, but it was still a better and there were still a ton of renters but it technically was still um, a better opportunity to buy and now we're seeing even more demand than we saw yeah. in that period, but 
the economics and the math make it to, it's better to to rent and that really started in, as you said 2018 it's, and it's really it spiked and i guess this is obviously directly correlated to um home prices yeah i think it, it, you know we spent so much time thinking about rising rents and and mm-hmm. you know rising apartment asset values but home prices looking to, are making just the same moves if not faster oh yeah wave i think i think faster yeah. and i think the people don't see the rent growth as sustainable when they look at it in a vacuum, mm-hmm. which I think it's obviously uh, sorry, often examined in a, just a real vacuum of, you yeah. know, oh, wait, rents have gone up, you know, 10%. That sounds crazy. It's like, well, but if everything has gone up 30 or 40%, how crazy is yeah. it? Especially when you're just, let's just look at housing. Housing has inelastic demand. You always need a place to live. People mm-hmm. need to put a shelter over their head. And now on the margins, more people are going to be renting. And then this is combined with the fact yeah. That we just don't have enough uh, rental yeah, stock, yeah, whether it's is... single-family homes or apartments. <laughs> I just dropped my pen because I got so excited. I, I think that the the length of these trends is interesting, too. It's not like we, That's a won't, good point. we won't see these coming, and it's not like— We're at the uh, beginning of this trend. And we're just at the—so basically from 2018 until now and, and probably until the for the bulk of— for the bulk of the 2020s, it's going to be better to rent than buy if if history has anything to say with it. That, that's a, I think that's a really good point you just made there, Matt, is looking at kind of the length of periods yeah. of these trends. And just, so, again, this is going back to 1982, but essentially from 1982 all the way up to 2000, so that's 18 years, it was better to, it was slightly better to buy than rent. Um, so that was a, you know, a 20-year um, cycle. And then from call it 1999 to 2010, so that's only that's about a 10 year cycle where it was better to rent than to buy. Mm-hmm. And so, if let's extrapolate, let's say that's a trend. Yeah, not that it, it we the economy's going through crazy stuff. So, yeah, so yeah, who yeah. knows? But all the forces seem to be pushing in this direction. Mm-hmm. So, if the trend of being better to rent than buy really began in 2018, we've got a decade. So, um, or at least, uh, so really 2028 20, yeah. we're looking at for where the, at least the equation of renting makes more sense than buying, but that doesn't mean that when that switches, multifamily ceases mm-hmm. to be a good investment because yeah. we've seen that multifamily was a great investment during a, the last, um, cycle where it was skewed towards buying. And, and I think compact, so also, you know, you think about what you see in this graph is a huge spike around that really peaks where it's better to rent at that at 2007 at the great housing crisis yeah. that's the biggest peak you it is that was a housing crisis and it still took five years for it to go from that peak to the bottom um to where it was better to buy than rent yeah um and so you know there are years even even like the biggest crisis that we've seen it takes years and years for it to actually move things yeah. in that direction so it will be uh you know, I think that I I do think that we have I think that we are at the start and you can see this rising from 2020 to 2021. We're at the start of a big rising trend where it's better to rent than buy. And I don't think that it's going to stop for at least five years. Yeah, but that's I think that would be safe because I think, you know, so many trends have been accelerated. So let's say that. OK, let's say mm-hmm. the trend's been cut in half. So we've got another five years of where it's absolutely better to rent than buy. Mm-hmm. And then you know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad environment after that. Yeah, but you still have that five years to go back and then it'll be five years to break even. So yeah, that may be. Yeah, yeah. That. Fascinating stuff, man. Yeah. Um, so what, what do we what do we have next? We got a good uh, article from Forbes. Counterpoint on rent growth um that's that was my title the the headline title is will your rent keep skyrocketing not if this billionaire is right are we going to trust this guy 
I do. Um, you do. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe we should. Well, okay. So that's what that's what I want to get into. It is is okay. This billionaire thinks that rent is not going to keep skyrocketing. Um, and obviously we've got opinions, and we don't think he's right. But uh, but it's still worth thinking about. In what ways could he be right? Yeah. It, and good, and that's a good point because let's not you know sit in an echo chamber and yeah. say everything's good, rent's going to keep rising, and multifamily mm-hmm. is the best. Trying to really making these um, conclusions with evidence, but yeah. anyway, what, what is this? What so, is this billionaire? What, I, I, what is his the, opinion? The crux of this article, which is really actually kind of a more of a short profile of Marvy Finger, who's the uh, who's a Houston-based uh, tycoon or magnate, um, however they describe him, but he's a he sold two billion dollars of his portfolio which is equal to about 33 times the expected 2022 net operating income um, of 60 million, which I think I did some math. And so one over 33 is, is that a 3% cap rate? Yeah, it makes sense. Probably. So, and, and that's not, I mean, it sounds, sounds about right. And that, and you know what, that's what I did. I did a little, some, some light unscientific Googling and they said, you know, a couple sources said that Houston rents were on average about 5%. Maybe Class A rents were about uh, three point seven five on the yeah. low end, and so honestly, three percent cap rate doesn't seem that unprecedented here. And I bet that the size of that portfolio was also very attractive. They can they could get three or two billion dollars worth of assets all at one time. Yep. That's a lot of time, and that I think that Graystar, which is the buyer, was as excited about this as Marvy Finger was. Um, before we get to Marvy Finger's reasons for selling. Um, the article does note that the buyer for many of these properties, which I've said is Graystar, was as enthusiastic as Finger. And you've, it's because you've got a lot of rent growth, a lot of investor competition, and a whole lot of attention in general being paid on the investment markets, particularly in the Sunbelt markets. So, it's, again, it's not that surprising that there was such an eager, eager buy. And, and, and what are his reasons for um, wanting to sell? I mean, what's the yeah. – um, why so, does he think that rents will – cease to Marvy grow just because they're higher finger thinks that the multifamily market is headed for a correction specifically because he sees the potential for an oversupply oh. um well, he is in houston he is in houston and that's true and and he's in a lot of these sunbelt markets that um you know when i think of supply you know i'm thinking of long-term trends in the in nation but really where the rubber hits the road is individual markets yeah and that's kind of where spencer when whenever we have these reports you zoom in on the individual market supply yep. how much how many units have they um you know have they brought online how is that in proportion to their uh to the housing stock or the the apart you know the, how many apartment units are already on the market yeah and those numbers are particularly important because if those get out of whack, then that's going to have an effect on rent, on demand, on occupancy, and so on. Yeah, I, I would. It's it can't be underlined enough how um, you have to be granular in terms of which markets you're looking at, and really the submarkets and yeah. looking at supply and demand. Because you know Houston is one that is seeing a lot of um, growth. Mm-hmm. It has, and, and it probably will see growth, but it's not. It's not necessarily as high as a lot of other markets, but the amount of supply that's coming online. I don't. I don't have the figure in front of me about what the supply compared to the percentage of current inventory versus the amount of absorption that, that's coming online. Yeah. It's at a level where it is concerning where you could see mm-hmm. some oversupply in, in some select markets. So you'd see some softness. Is that going to lead to a crash though? Mm-hmm. Or is that just going to, you know, because yeah, you know, or is it more just, you know, maybe they're not going to hit the returns that they're going to want to hit. Um, yeah. And so I, I think probably gray stars making probably a good move. Uh, there's some other markets that I'm more excited about um, than, a, than a Houston. Um, but Houston's been a, a solid market and most likely will continue to be. But there are just those risk factors in some markets, which a lot of the Sunbelt markets are, yeah. 
um, that it's just a higher risk and potential higher reward, but mm-hmm. definitely higher risk. Well, and uh, and part of it is your local market knowledge. Maybe mm-hmm. you know, Marvy Fingers. Maybe he knows can, something. And knows a little bit. Knows the the construction plans that are being planned. Maybe they're not permitted yet. But a lot of builders are might might be drawn to the same markets where he has these properties, yeah. and so he's you know buying he's selling on the rumors basically, and um yeah. and and those and that will kind of harden into uh, a real oversupply. But that's again specific to these markets that he has his investments in. It, you can't make that blanket statement about oversupply because we're in a housing affordability crisis. Yeah. There's way too much demand uh, relative to rent, and it's making things very uh you know very tight. For mm-hmm. for buyer for home buyers and renters, so there, I think that yes, he could be right in here, but the way he's right is within specific markets. He's also, uh, I mean, he he's obviously an older guy, yeah. older gentleman, mm-hmm. um, probably looking at retiring if he's not retired already, and he 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 doesn't need to worry about it. Yeah, I mean, and that and that's another thing that uh, we're seeing a lot of owners saying. Maybe they want to continue to invest in real estate, but they don't want to operate. They don't want to own. They want to be more mm-hmm. passive. Um, and maybe this is a way of him saying, like, look, things are just crazy. I mean, look at the guy. He, he's definitely he's an old, you know an older gentleman, and he doesn't. He's got two billion dollars. He's going to put it under the mattress or wherever he wants, yeah, what, whatever yeah. he wants to do with it. Um, but he's he doesn't need to do anything. He doesn't need to be allocated the two billion dollars mm-hmm. in real estate, and he may have another. You know, I don't know. He may have another billion dollars in real estate. He may have another five billion. I don't. I don't know what his. Well, net yeah, worth he is. definitely says he. It's half of his portfolio, and okay. he's and yeah. he's thinking that the other half is the good half. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, and maybe that makes sense. So, so, so you know, yeah. nice pruning of the portfolio. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. I think I think that that makes that makes a lot of a lot of good sense. Um, and again, I think it's really I'm, I'm glad you included that, uh, Matt, because it, it's important to look at the other side. And we do get a lot of opinions and usually not necessarily based on um, a lot of a lot of data or evidence, but just um, things are crazy. Yeah. And I don't want to get in the middle of I just liked all, I liked it, too. <laughs> the how it describes equal excitement on the buyer and seller it's like a capital yeah. it warms warms the hearts of capitalists everywhere that this exactly. two billion dollars transactions everyone's happy everybody's happy yeah. that's what you want yeah. to see so okay matt not everyone loves remote work yeah. remote work revolution though yeah well, so what's, work. what's going on with that <laughs> um so the total share of remote workers has dropped from 51 percent in april of 2021 to um 44 percent i think um to uh, in december of 2021 at the same time the share of workers who expect remote work in the future, either remote or hybrid work, pretty much re- remains stable. It was 77% in, um, in April of 2021 and 78% in December of 2021. Mm-hmm. So people expect that it's going to be there. I don't know if that's really a good measure of what is actually going to happen, but it may affect people's... Uh, you know, if in a tight labor market, the expectations of potential employees are important because now they have a little bit more leverage and now they can kind of, um, you know, they can kind of dictate a little bit more yeah. uh, about what the working situation is going to be. Uh, I think the fact that, you know, 45 percent are expecting um, high, some kind of hybrid environment and there's more and more talk about, you yes. know, four day work week, three day mm-hmm. work week or just, you know, flexibility of like, hey, all right, I don't need to be in 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 the office today. So this is, I think the most powerful um, finding that they have. Now they, they have some stuff about remote workers. Like they have a line that says like, Oh yeah. When, when, um, when individuals flooded once sleepy towns, like that's, we don't really see that. What we saw during the pandemic and what we may continue to see is people moved from close to downtown to out 
towards the suburbs looking for more within, space within the same city and that and i think that that totally connects with the idea of hybrid work where you're still tied to your workplace you got to go there but because you're going in there two or three times a week you don't have to you know maybe you can afford uh your sanity can afford uh yeah. an hour drive rather than a half hour drive. well and you, you you trade it out of your two-bedroom you know downtown apartment to mm -hmm. a three-bedroom suburban apartment that yeah. maybe you're paying the same in rent because typically cbd rents are a little bit expensive you get mm -hmm. a nice apartment out in the suburbs more space maybe you're paying the same maybe less maybe a little bit more you're getting, you know, you've got a room for private office now, or you're just yeah. spending more time at home. So you've got just got room to do more, room, more room for activities, yeah. basically. And, <laughs> no, and it's true. And yeah. that's something we're looking at. And that's a big change because mm -hmm. we, in the past couple of years prior to the pandemic, you know, we didn't want to see a ton of three bedrooms or especially not four bedrooms. That's more student housing. But like, yeah. unless the area had a lot of families, um, we'd really want to see studios ones and twos hmm. um and really twos but now we see some three bedrooms and, and the pricing on the three bedrooms kind of keeps bumping up and there's a lot of room to grow is that third bedroom usually an office or, or are they it's just... either a family okay. or it could be an office it could just could be some extra space but mm -hmm. just the demand in general for three bedrooms and i think that also relates to housing affordability that yeah. people aren't able to buy a home millennials who are having kids and forming families they want the extra space for the kid they just yeah. they need an extra room they need a nursery they're having mm -hmm. another kid um, or they've got the nursery and they need an, they need an office also yeah. and homeownership is un, unobtainable. And so they're looking for a good rental option with more space. And so, you know, we're, we've yeah, got a that project is an interesting under yeah. time specific, specific kind of to this moment. Yep. Um, whereas I think a lot of the, and, and they talk about the attitudes for different generations. Yeah. I think a lot of this is age based, not necessarily like the inherent characteristics of each generation, but it is still interesting. Now, 48% of of millennials are into uh are, 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 are I'm sorry, in is are, do you think yeah. that's because we're just like uh, like millennials are entering kind of peak um like earning years, like they've got a little yeah. bit of leverage. Mm -hmm. They've got some ex they've got, you know, a good decade or so of experience. But they're also, you know, like, hey, I, yeah, I want to work from home. I, I want to get a little bit of power here. Yeah, that makes Where sense. The boomers, the boomers and Gen Zs are like, look, I've been doing this for, for decades. Like, I'll just keep coming into work. Yeah. And so, and yeah, Gen, just to and summarize, we've got sorry, this the graph Gen X, up. And, but the Gen Z, I'm curious about the Gen Z. They're maybe they're just not they're not working at all. They're kind of at the um, anti work movement. Yeah, and you'll just, see about their desire. Out. So this this graph that we have right now it represents the 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 share of workers in each generation that are in remote working jobs and millennials are the highest at 48%. Everyone mm -hmm. else, boomers, Gen X, Gen Z, they're around 40%. Now what's interesting mm, that's in again yeah, is the following graph is how interested each generation is in remote work. How desirable is remote work to you? And it goes, it is starts at 62% for boomers. And then it goes down from there. 54% of Gen X, 51% for millennials. And then 36 percent which i think this that's the most re even more relevant than the boomers really interested are that gen z's 36 percent are does think that remote work is desirable they're really not interested they want to go to work um that's probably good that's a good thing yeah and that ties into a little bit more of what we're what we're going to talk about with gen z's and um and urban markets yeah as well i was, but, I was just thinking about yeah. that that's a that's a great um connection well why don't we just pop right into that so mm -hmm. gen z renters globe street had a nice um it's got a good headline there good good <laughs> headline um i i'm on the older side of the millennial generation and i'll admit i i identify a little bit more with like the laid-back gen x uh, stereotype than like the earnest and idealistic millennials 
which I, I that's why I kind of like Gen Z's. Gen Z's a little more practical, I guess. This is according to stereotypes. But here's where I'll argue. I think a lot of this is a due to stages in life. This 100%. Is what, yeah. what young people like. This isn't like an inherent quality of Gen Z's. It's like, oh, there's so much difference. Like, nope, they're just younger than us. And they're into what young people are into. What I, what I, 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 I think it's a really good point. And yeah, it's what young people have probably always have been into, given like the current times. But um, and everyone thinks it's new. Um, yeah. I, heard, I heard a Gen Z talking something, saying something, and, and saying, you know, well, you know, our, this new, our new generation, younger generation, which is much, much more liberal than past generations. Like yeah. every young generation is is liberal. Like that yeah. happens. Yeah. That, that's like been going on. So it's like Roman, you can see yeah. your old like Roman, yeah, idealistic, you know, young speeches. kids, and then yeah. all of a sudden you start paying taxes and yeah. and see what you wanted to do not work, and you're like, yeah, okay, maybe there's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna look at my uh, philosophy a little bit. A little bit differently. So Gen Z, just to summarize, then these the the Zoomers that they call um, that people call them. I don't know if they're. Calling I don't like that's a. I'm not. Yeah, it seems like. A is it because it just rhymes boomer zoomers and boomers? Oh yeah, I think so. That's yeah. Um, they're the young people that are moving into cities and supporting a real revitalization of urban apartment markets. On the face of it, I I think this is a lot more consistent with the age again than the popular than the particular generation, um, and it makes sense. They're moving out of their parents' houses. They're looking for places where they can find jobs, entertainment, other people their age. A typical Zoomer probably doesn't have any kids yet, doesn't have enough money to buy a home, and fits in well with what they want and what they can do. So they go to the city. Yep. And they're more interested again, like like that past thing. I really think that this is one of the more powerful connections that uh, that we found this week. Is this connection between they want to they they like the workplace yeah, and they're that, going that, that, to where the workplace is? That was a big surprise is. to me. Yeah, um, yeah, but, and I think that is going to you know as we're going to talk about is what this that what is that going to do to major employment centers the CBDs that have been hit? Yeah, so yeah. hard. And so you get the specific numbers for the individual markets in the Rent Cafe um, article, which actually Globe Street summarized a little bit of the Rent Rent Cafe, but I liked the the article in in Globe Street. It got right to the point. Now, the Rent Cafe one um, article is that Gen Z renters are giving big cities a glow up, which is a millennial. What is what is what is uh, what is that? A glow, glow up? a glow up is like when something is really good. It's so good that it glows. <laughs> OK, cool. <laughs> Uh, that's fun. I, I think that's a millennial term, actually. Is it? Uh, maybe I don't not. Know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the cohort of Gen Z renters is growing rapidly, and th- of the 3.2 million applications for apartments analyzed, 27% were from Gen Zers. Um, 45% are still in uh, are still millennials, but the uh, I'm sorry, but the change in share. I'm th- I, I was mixing this up. The change in share Gen Z has grown the biggest. From, it has grown 21% compared to millennials. It's actually shrunk by 8%. And all the other age brackets are shrinking shares of renters. And, and it's really Gen Z that's that's growing the, the and, and I think, as you said, it's, it's more life. It's less generational as it is just what stage of life you're in. And mm-hmm. for millennials, again, they're having kids trying to buy homes. Looks like 8% have been able to buy a home. The rest haven't. Yeah. But it was expected that that number was significantly higher than minus 8% for millennials. Yeah. And if you look at, at a um, demographic breakdown of population growth by age bracket, in almost every single market, you'll see a significant decrease over the next 5 to 10 years for hmm. that kind of that millennial, that, yeah. that, that kind of 25 to 30, 30, 35, which is a definitely a big chunk of renters. And it's just because millennials are getting older. Yeah. But what everyone was anticipating is that they would all just have families and buy a house. Mm-hmm. 
can't buy a house. Yeah, they're, so, so they're declining a lot slower than expected. They're declining a lot slower, but it, they're definitely, you know, but they're definitely still decline, which is to be is to be expected. Yeah. Um, but man, that's a lot of new Gen Zers. You know, it makes you think about when you're looking at um, you know, apartment um, acquisition, you know, real estate investing when you're trying to cater towards um young a younger demographic yeah. gen z you know what do they want we kind of sort of figured out the millennials is it going to be the same thing um so, or you know what, what 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 kind of you know i'm just thinking what kind of amenities um that we're going to need for the gen z so apartment list says that that gen z is really interested in because they're the first generation born and raised on the internet they're going to want fast internet connections and honestly i think that that's uh that's too easy I think that they expect yeah. fast, faster net connections, and they're using this as the reason for Gen. Uh, they're speculating that Gen Zs want to go downtown because the internet's faster. Um, I think honestly, you can get a fast connection fast enough in in the suburbs or in downtown, and I don't think that that, that is the, a meaningful difference. I think really it is a stage of life. They want to meet. They want to be where other. Uh, where other people their age are, they want to be close to their workplace. They want more employment opportunities. This is the this is the time when they've got a lot of free time, a lot of energy. And is it, and is that really potential. any different from the millennials? Exactly. Every yeah, that's the same thing. Yeah. You're you're out of college. You want to get things going, and yep. you know you want to start your career and ha- and have some fun. Um, but just quickly, let's just look top twenty top twenty cities for um, Gen Z renters in. 2008. Oh, this is interesting. Yeah. Uh, so Davis, California. Okay. That these are these are all in, these are all university towns. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. That makes sense. Gen Zers graduating high school. Yeah. Going to college. Um. So it's UC Davis, I assume. Uh, Boulder, Conway, Arkansas. I'm not sure what Lynchburg, Virginia, Bloomington, Indiana. So yeah, these are Kenosha, um, Wisconsin. These are many of these, not all, but many of these are um, university towns. Yeah, what's interesting is that this doesn't map completely 100% to the largest universities in the um, in America. That is true. So there are, you know, there are some. I I think that there definitely are some cities where it's more desirable for Gen Zs to live there, and it's not just. You know, it's not just they're going to college. Maybe it's yeah. better for young people. Yeah. I remember we were reading last year about some um, some places in like Louisiana that were uh, that were very attractive for Gen Z renters. I mm-hmm. I'm blanking on the name, but it's but it's not always the college town. Yeah. And it would be interesting to look at what proportion of these of this increase is due to education. I'm I'm assuming it's it's mostly <laughs> well education but, and then and then where the cool jobs and yeah. and you so you graduate you know university or college or whatever and you're like okay you know. Let's go to New York. Let's go to California. I want to go to a big city where yeah. there's a lot of jobs and I can, you know, work at, you know, a firm that's right in the center of the industry. Mm-hmm. I did. I moved out to New York after school. I know a lot of people moved out to California, moved to Texas, well, you know, Miami, wherever it might be. It makes sense. You want to go to some place with a lot of opportunities. It's going to be fun trying something different. Yeah. You know, I think that makes sense. Um, you know, what the next decade or two after that, we shall see what um, what happens. Um, let's just look at a couple of these charts. And, what, are, what do we got and here? And while you're looking at these charts, I did want to note um, one of the things that was brought up in that uh, that Fortune article about Marvy Finger is they talked about the potential um, decoupling of people that were in, in roommates, and and I think that this might be this might be applicable to Gen Zs. Is you know maybe they had roommates during the pandemic, and now they're like, okay, we're all settled, or they were living with their parents during the mm-hmm. pandemic, which is probably more, much more likely for Gen Zs than others. Um, they were living with their parents or living with extra roommates and now they're kind of independent and they're ready to get up the, to strike off on their own. So that, that could, that's going to be some new yeah. demand that's going to 
really start trickling out. I don't know how much it's going to move the needle, but there's a yeah. lot. There's a lot of kids who've been living home at home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were finishing up school. They're not going to go rent a place when they can just go move in with their parents. Yeah. I mean, I know a handful of younger younger folks I, that are in that. You know, and I, and I would have to look into this, but I would suspect that there is a, a significant chunk of of college students, you know, in, in the past two years that were living at home and doing remote, uh, you know, e-learning yeah. and instead of living on campus. Yeah. And we're going to just I know, I know a lot moved back to campus, campus. they were like, I don't want to live at home. But yeah. some definitely stayed at home. And I think that the recent graduates, I think a lot of those probably stayed at home. Yeah, you, good, very good point. You're going to work remote, mm-hmm. you know. There are up-and-coming ones. that They talk about, uh, like, how um, San Francisco went up, like, 101%. There, yeah. Oh, that's just in California. But if you yeah. scroll up, I think they have a whole yeah. big long list. Yeah, they. Yeah. There we go. There's the one. Yeah. So Matt, back to one of these top graphs: the top twenty cities for Gen Z renters in 2022. Again, these are all major employment hubs: San Fran, Jersey City, Manhattan, New York, Philly, Boston. Outside of DC, outside mm-hmm. of San Francisco, Seattle, Minneapolis, LA. So you know that's a lot of. Big job places. They're going to where the jobs are. And yeah. that's what we've talked about. Follow the job growth. You know, population mm-hmm. growth usually um, lags the job growth. So focus on the job growth. You're going to be in a good, good spot. Yeah. Matt, really great report. This has really got me thinking about, you know, not just the plans that we're going to do this year on acquisitions, but how are we going to shape these business plans yeah. to cater to the next generation of renters, whether mm-hmm. it's Gen Z or it's going to be retiring baby boomers. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just dealing with more millennials, just being renters um, for longer. Kind of net net, I think, positive for multifamily. I think there's still a lot of just yeah. unknowns in the macro economy, as they always are. You know, I think everyone but, loves talking about Gen Z, the younger generation, and how they're, yeah. you know. But, uh, yeah, millennials aren't going anywhere, especially when it comes to renting apartments. And we still got a huge housing demand. That's You can eat all the avocado toasts and, and you know, download Van all your life, internet. all you want, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the Gen Zers, they need they need to be downtown for fast internet. But the, the yep. millennials are just in their van with the Star, you know, SpaceX Starlink. <laughs> That's right. They don't need a little bit of speed. It's more the aesthetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. (laughs) All right, everyone. If you're interested in learning more about uh, the multifamily industry, real estate, and the economy, make sure you're subscribed to the Gray Capital YouTube channel, but also hop on over to graycapitalllc.com slash newsletter to sign up for the weekly Gray Capital newsletter packed full way more reports than this um we've got how many you think like two dozen um reports it's a ton of stuff yeah not only articles research reports everything that's up to date to keep you the most informed to help you make the absolute best decisions we've got market updates most recent you know financing rates really if you're going to absorb one piece of financial news and you're focused on the real estate industry the gray report newsletter is what you want to do in Gray Report, uh, this show is also available on the podcast, uh, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you enjoy listening to your audio content, you can find the Gray Report to accompany you on any activity where you cannot look at screen to look at the graphs. Lastly, if you are interested in making an allocation to multifamily real estate in 2022, well, I'd hop on over to Gray.Fund. If you are an accredited investor, that's Gray Capital's multifamily investment fund targeting stabilized multifamily properties, all 100 units and up in growing markets in the Midwest. Learn more if you are an accredited investor. You can just go to Gray.Fund right into your browser. It'll bring you right there. Download the deck schedule a call and we are looking forward to partnering with you hope you enjoyed this edition of the great report don't forget to like subscribe and leave a comment we'll see you next week